hey, hey, buddies. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions. And as you listen to this episode, we will be in production on three films. Um, I originally had said four, but going through pre-production and getting everything together, cast, uh, budget, locations, so on and so forth, scheduling, it seemed a little easier to do three at this time. Um, so uh, we're going to do the one Emmanuel film and Tracy Triangle and uh, Lady Hyde. And the other Emmanuel film is put on the back burner until the later round. Um, but after that, we're going to do some films around uh, October, something like that, maybe November, September, October, November, somewhere around there, and do like another one or two, something like that. And uh, you'll see, we got some really cool things planned up. A lot of cool 70s-inspired grindhouse drive-in action uh, very cool stuff, some Franco-inspired stuff as well. So, hope you all enjoy that. So, hope you all enjoy that as much as I enjoy this film that I am talking about today. This is episode 38, and uh, film number 38. And probably, as of my viewing right now, of the Franco films I've seen, and of course I haven't seen every one, so it's hard to say if something's my favorite, if you haven't seen everything, but... Of the films that I have seen, I would say this is probably my favorite Franco film because it's the one that really made me sit up and really notice Franco in another light and just start diving hardcore into his stuff. And that would be A Virgin Among the Living Dead, um, Christina, Princess of Eroticism. Uh, truth be, tone, be known, I haven't seen or I have yet to see the Jean Rolin uh, extended version with the zombies. I preferred to watch the Christine version without the zombie stuff because uh, that was the original intent and uh, padding. I don't know. I didn't really. I'm sure. I'm sure. I know I will watch it later, but as of this time, it's like if you have something good and you know something kind of sullies it, why watch it just out of curiosity? But like I said, I will do that because I am a Jean Rolin fan as well. And uh, even though I had always thought it's cool that those two work together, unfortunately, the work they've put together doesn't really pay off. They're better as uh, separate. So let's see. This is film 38 and um, episode 38. I'll go ahead and hit the credits for this. This is probably going to be a longer intro episode because um, the book that we always take from A Course, Murderous Passions, by Mr. Stephen Thrower. This is volume one. There's quite a bit of information on this film, a lot of uh, written words, so we're going to dive in right now. Okay, title, A Virgin Among Living Dead. Uh, it was in Liechtenstein, France, Italy, and Belgium, filming locations, 1971. Uh, alternative titles, Christina, Princess of Eroticism. That's the French theatrical 1973 release. Uh, we have um, I Desideri Eratici di Christine. Italian, Erotic Desires of Christine. Uh, let's see, we have the Erotic Games of Christine, and then we have, of course, the French Theatrical... Uh, okay, so that came out in 73, and then the 78 and 81 re-releases A Virgin Among the Living Dead. Un verage chez les mortes vivantes. Um, and then we have uh, the Erotic Dreams of Christine, Spanish Theatrical, Christina Among the Living Dead, French video, Italian video, Virgin Among the Living Dead, uh, Spanish video, A Virgin in the House of the Living Dead, 
Interesting. They're really just cashing in on that Living Dead. Uh, Virgin Among Living Dead, U.S. Video Sleeve. Um, also in U.S. Video, it was one time referred, l- labeled as Zombie, Z-O-M-B-I, 4, A Virgin Among the Living Dead. Uh, zombie Cannibals, Italian Video, Gli Zombie Cannibali, um, A Virgin Among the Zombies, Italian, Argentina, The Hell of the Senses. The Hell of the Senses, that's kind of a cool one, Argentina. Uh, Diabolical Testament, A Virgin in the Grip of the Zombies, a uh, German video. Uh, German other video is The Horror of Montserrat Cassel. And what else we got? Virgin and the Dead, Portuguese DVD. Uh, the original shooting, French shooting title is The Night of the Shooting Stars, which is really a great title. And I wish they would have done that, but it's not a very um, commercial title, I guess. Um... Uh, and then also the French shooting title was The Night When the Stars Died, which is another fantastic title. Night of the Shooting Stars or The Night When the Stars Died is great. Uh, and then also French alternative video, they had it as Zombie Holocaust, which is interesting because uh, there was already a Zombie Holocaust that was made. Um, German theatrical, Virgin Mall Living Dead, Exorcism for a Virgin. All right, production companies, 1971, Prodif. ETS. That's uh, Franco's little side one. He had done three films under that title after he broke up with Harry Allen Towers, and the fourth came after he broke up with Bronner. So there was always that talk of maybe that he had taken some money or people or whatever from those and made these side films. But the side films he made were also fantastic, you know, like Eugenie and this and uh, some of the other ones he did. Um, what was it after he did? Uh, uh, Nightmare's Coming Night, and um, those ones like that. So that's pretty cool how he knocked those out. Um, okay, so uh, 1971. Uh, then 1973, uh, Campeo Francis, DFM Production, Paris. 78, JK Films. Uh, 78, Prodif Est Valdez. 78, BIP. And then 81, Eurocene of Paris. Theatrical Distribution, 73, Campeo Francis, DFM Productions. 1978, Brux International Pictures, Brussels. 78, Euro Vinci, Rome. And 1981, Euro Paris. Timeline on this. Um, shooting date is November and to December of 71. Another quick production, which is awesome. Uh, and the came out in July 12th of 73. And it played Paris in November 15th of 73. And played Italy November 11th of 78, and Seville and Madrid July 7th of 81, and Barcelona July 26th of 82. Theatrical running times. French version, Christine, is 90 minutes. The Belgian uh, Living Dead is 80, and Spain is 85. Cast. Christina von Blanc as Christine von Blanc. Um... Christina Betham, aka Christina Reiner. Yeah, you don't. She has two different last names in the film: Christina Betham and Christina Reiner. Uh, Britt Nichols is beautiful. She's in this as Carmense. Rosita Palomares as the Rosa Palomar plays Aunt Abigail, and Liebert as the Queen of the Night. Very cool. Howard Vernon, elegance as Uncle Howard. Jess Franco is great in this. He's uh, Mr. Beliso, Uncle Howard's manservant. Fantastic. Paul Mueller is Ernesto Pablo Ron Reiner, 
Christina's father, who you see in a noose throughout the film. Uncredited, Nicole Gutierrez plays a female nurse at the hotel. Linda Hostreiter plays Linda, the blind girl. Antonio DeCavo plays Pedro Mandeveres, the lawyer. Um, Christina, golden orgy footage. Alice Arno, woman on throne. Pierre Tellu and Fritz Nichols. Walt Davis and Johnny Weisler. Credits directed by Jess Franco, written by Jess Franco, director of photography, Jose Clemente, editor, uh, Josian Pierret Bielar, music and special sound effects, Bruno Nicolai, awesome, production manager, Carl Heinz Machkin, makeup, um, Esalinda Venu, orchestra conducted by Bruno Nicolai, um, and uh, insert director, Pierre Quatrant for Christine. Three, two, one. Production notes. During November or December of 1971, in and out, in and around the Conde de Castro Gomares Palace and Casquias, Portugal, and the nearby town of Sintra, Franco directed this haunting poetic revere with the shooting title Night of the Shooting Stars. At the same time, he collected extra material for the part-completed Virgin Report, begun earlier that year for Arthur Bronner's CCC subsidiary, Telecine Film. By the time Night of the Shooting Stars was offered for sale, as Christine Prince's eroticism, the only accredited production company was Prodif S.E.T.S., allegedly based in Vaduz Lechtenstein. See also Nightmares Come at Night, Sex Charade, and Eugene. Those are the three he did. Uh, Franco was once again taking a leaf out of Harry Allen Tower's book, mounting the production from Lichtenstein, almost certainly for tax purposes. Perhaps there was another reason that neither shooting stars made with leftover funds from the scrappy Virgin Report shoot. If so, Franco never made another film with Bronner, Telecine, or Telefilm, or CCC Film Quotes. Perhaps it didn't go unnoticed. This is per pure speculation, obviously, but it's curious to note that the first three Prodif ETS films emerge at the end of Franco's nine-film association with Harry Allen Towers, and the fourth at the end of his association with Arthur Bronner. Yeah, so he had basically done Nightmares Come at Night, the unreleased Sex Charade, and Eugenie with funds after Towers, supposedly, and then done this film with funds left over from Bronner, supposedly. So yeah, I'm gonna go. Th- I'm gonna do read most of his review and stuff because there's a lot on here. A few I'm gonna skip out, but uh, and there are will be spoilers. Possibly I might cut away, but I'll let you know. Review: A morbid and magical fever dream captured on celluloid. The story of a naive young woman who returns to the family mansion for the reading of her father's will, only to discover that her relatives are nothing but malevolent specters, is beautiful, haunting, creepily enthralling. And totally Jess Franco. Um, we begin with the ocean, seen from the car driving rapidly along the jetty. The shakiness of the camera, the speed of the vehicle, the hurtling velocity of the music all conspire to create an electri- le- electrifying sense of imminence. As the car travels inland through the Spanish port of La Pagna, we pass through sun-baked scuba land, or scrubland and shabby buildings at the edge of town. Via a jump cut, we arrive at the shady, shady foyer, of a tiny old peasant hotel and meet Christina, the film's heroine. Uh, we're meant to assume she was a passenger in the car, although we never actually see her in it. After one of those 
Typically creepy exchanges with the hotelier regarding her intended destination. Christina is picked up by Belicio, a greasy little man with a slack mouth and weaselly eyes. Yes, it's director Jess Franco in one of his favorite cameos. Playing a mentally retarded servant sent to fetch the heroine and draw her into a world of soft shadows and silence. What transpires as a virgin among living dead unfolds is essentially a cinematic poem. It's certainly not a narrative. The storyline would basically support a 25-minute Twilight Zone episode. The family reunion from hell that turns out to be a family reunion in hell. Instead, the pleasure of the film can be found in the emotional and atmospheric texture of the scenes, their wayward illogicality, the sensation that Franco creates of floating between fragmentary thoughts and feelings, like thoughts coalescing into nightmares, moving into a slumberous procession on the verge of sleep. To speak of what it's about risks trampling the essence of the project. The closest thing to a theme here is family, or more precisely, the absence of family. Christina returns home to a house she's never seen, a family she knows nothing about. She arrives at Montessori Mansion, ostensibly to attend the reading of her father's will. But she never even knew her father. I'm lost, totally lost. She weeps at one point with some justification. Christine's sorrow, her loneliness, and sense of abandonment are the heart and soul of the film. And we can excuse her bizarre refusal to be spooked by her creepy relatives as just the desperate wish so to have some kind of family, however freaky and cadaverous. Uh, let's see. And then you go on to speak about uh, the great Howard Vernon, a master class of infernal elegance. Infernal elegance. Um, and then she they talk about um, the different uh, um, family members of the house. The other Denzians include Hermina, the dying cousin, Aunt Abigail, and esoteric raven-haired beauty Anne Liebert billed as the queen of the night in publicity materials who drifts around the place like a cross between Vampira and Greta Garbo. Um, a Virgin Among Living Dead incorporates familiar genre imagery but dissolves the glow that binds these common tropes together. Events and incidents supplant each other without momentum. To be honest, we are only 15 minutes in and you could possibly shuffle the deck and reorder the scenes without harming the overall effect. Franco is at his most experimental here. Utterly uninterested in suspense, the trappings of the genre are cast adrift in a plotless misima, disengaged from the explanation that would ground them. Instead, the film is full of strange pauses, jarring emphasis, non-sequiturs, and startling shifts in tone. Um, and I'm not going to go over some of the spoilers here, but they talk about different scenes in the film and how they relate to her character and other things that she sees. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting watching this. Um, she talks about when she was six months old, her mother died, and she doesn't remember anything. She never met her father, and he sent me to a boarding school, to a private college in London. So she has that. Um, and then, uh, so what's interesting is, okay, so he made this on his own production company, same as Eugenie. And in Eugenie, um, Paul Mueller's character played her father, or played uh, um, Soldat Miranda's father, whose mother had died when she was a baby, and she was sent away, or raised by the father. 
so it's almost the same theme that he takes that character's and puts them into this film as the father and the daughter and the mother had died. And watching that, I kind of thought that, and reading this, he, Stephen Thrower brings this up, which is really cool. He goes, um, Christina's greatest desire is to have known her father, a desire that inverted fantasia of Montresoret would eventually grant her. But as the saying goes, be careful what you wish for. Surrounded by the inexplicable, Christina eventually meets him, but he's dead, of course. But beggars can't be choosers. He's played by Franco mainstay Paul Mueller with a hangman's rope around his neck and a psychedelic echo to his voice. The guardians of night gave me a few moments on earth, after which I shall return to the deep, dark valley of death, he tells her. Intriguingly, when Christina says, Father, that rope, what's been done to you, he responds, no less than I did to others. It would seem that he's a killer, something he shares with another of Franco's patriarchs who Mueller played just a year earlier, the murderous Albert Raddick in Eugenie. Ambiguity if something's ambiguous, ambiguity there you go, ambiguity surrounding Christina's surname helps to support the idea. When we first meet her, she's greeted at the hotel as Miss Bentham but during the reading of her will, we hear her father's name read by the notary as Ernest Pablo Juan Rainier. Why then is she not called Christina Rainier? Perhaps Bentham was her mother's name? It's an English-sounding appellation which would suggest that she was schooled in London. The double name suggests subterfuge, masked identity, lies, and concealment. So what's going on? What? Who is Christina really? And who is her father? Could he actually be the murderous Albert Raddick of Eugenie? If so, Christine is the sister of Eugenie. We could surmise that Raddick, Reiner, a criminal genius with multiple identities, sent Christina away so that he could concentrate on Eugenie, indoctrinating her into the Sedean vices. Both girls say that their mother died when they were very young. They don't look very much like each other, so perhaps they had a different mother's both of whom he slaughtered after they gave birth. I don't know. Remember that as well as murder. Reiner shares Reddick's fascination with eroticism that Will refers to his collection of carved ebony phalluses. Christine and Eugenie could be seen as sisters like like Sades, or like Sods, Justine and Julieta, the eternal victim of the decadent libertine. Christina has characteristics that link her very strongly to Justine in this naivety, a persistent inability to fight back or resist the impositions put upon her, a trusting nature beyond the bounds of a good sense. Where this film differs from Saad, however, is the sorrow it conveys. Emotionally speaking, it walks beside Christina, something a Sedean tale would never do. Of course, neither would Saad have any truck with the afterlife. A materialist to the core, he would regard the story as reverence and haunting as poppycock. The film takes a Sedean turn of absurd innocence and then perversely recasts it as a mystical odyssey, an attempt perhaps to broker a deal between two opposing forces of Franco's cinema, libertine sensualism and supernatural fantasy. Um, uh, let's see. It goes into the... Okay. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. In a mesmerizing vision that stands as the apex of Franco's imagery, Christina walks through a wooded glade and sees her father hanging by the neck before her, the dead man receding at a fixed distance as her point of view tracks forward, expanding on a technique Franco used ten years earlier in La Rina del Tabarun, 
Uh, Mueller is standing on a camera dolly while some sort of device out of shot keeps the rope taut. It's a vision so strange and somber you'll find yourself holding your breath. Combined with Bruno Nicolai's achingly beautiful music, it summons to the screen a vision, all the haunting imagery of Cocteau's Orphelie. But the embodiment of longing of Christina's need for guidance and her desperation to follow her father even into death leads to the final calamity as the evil ones pounce and draw her into their world. Ernesto is merely the bait, all of the sadness, all the poetry, the spell that has cast the breathless sense of time moving at a joint, the mesmeric confluence of music and picture, the composition of reality and fantasy embodied in the image. These are allures. One might say they are tricks pulled on us by the evil demon of the image. Seduction and beauty equate to evil. Franco's condensation of aesthetics here points to a world of immortal danger where poetry and beauty lead not to wisdom or exhalation, but perdition. So let's see. Oh, we're 20 minutes. Not too bad. All right. So um, it says it's fitting that we conclude here by discussing the final scenes for me, possibly the most magical and extraordinary in Franco's career. So let's see. I'm going to not tell you what that is because if you've not seen this film, you need to see this film and you need to see the end because the end is very eerie and something that made me that was the final thing that sealed me as a Franco fan. So I'm going to leave that empty. Um, let's see. Okay, I'll skip past that. Okay, here we go. You may find that a virgin among living dead, Christina Prince's eroticism, doesn't work for you on first viewing. There are the usual inflections of haste that beleaguer Franco's 1970s work. Plenty of signs that this was made on next to nothing. Some of the dialogue is stilted and awkward, and the absence of a coherent story can be alienating for a significant number of viewers. But if you accept the film's loose, improvisational style, if you embrace the strangeness and pick up on the sly humor, if you tune yourself into Franco's alien signal, it's a film you'll find yourself revisiting time and time again. Amen. That's very true. All right, Franco on screen. Belicio is one of Franco's funniest and strangest screen roles. One minute he's a virtual idiot, playing with matches and murmuring nonsensical syllables. The next he's sinister, menacing, entirely aware. Uh, as for the scene in which he twists the hands of an antique grandfather clock, surely this is the defining symbol of Franco's career. Cast and crew. Little is known about the film's star, Christina Von Blanc. Like her character in Virgin, was her real name was uncertain. Is it Christine Bettner or Christine Werner? Another prominent player is Portuguese-born Britt Nichols, a.k.a. Carmen Yazalde, or Maria de Carmano Ristio de Dus, an actress in Lisbon who... an actress in Lisbon Operetta, whose all-too-brief movie career, including included seven films in two years for Jess Franco. A fleeting but memorable appearance, having her breasts lacerated by the swords of the Knights Templar in Tombs of the Blind Dead, 1971, and a role in Jan Brock's Quirky and Enjoyable, 1974's Giallo, The Killer with a Thousand Eyes. She quit the film industry soon after to marry Argentina footballer Hector Yazalde, whose career went stellar following his selection for Argentina's 1974 World Cup squad. After a move to Marcellus, Nichols and Yazdi headed off to the footballer's new home back in Argentina. A jealous lover, he forbade her to make any more films, even when Roman Polanski got in touch, seeking her involvement in a forthcoming project, having pestered Jess Franco for her telephone number. The couple have since split up. For several years, she scored work in Argentina, 
as a model and TV actress under the name Carmen Yazaldi. Note, her character's name in the film is a derivation of her real name. Uh, music computer composer Bruno Nicolai, so we all know he's amazing on that. And he does everything very great. I always dig his scores in Jess Franco films. Um, locations. The opening, uh, actually it says too, that it's, uh, each scene resonates uh, some of which Franco actually plays. Franco played, uh, he he's the one bashing the hell out of the insides of the piano on some of the wilder pieces. Okay, locations. The opening shots of a car driving along the seafront were filmed in Spain. See also Sexy Darlings. A roadside by the water's edge announces the location as Lopagan, a region of Murcia on the shores of the Mar Menor. In some shots, a spit of land can be seen across the water. This is a narrow causeway that separates from the sea to the large salt water lake, which is the region's most notable feature. A shabby funfair ride in a bar called Venezuela can be seen at Kiss Me Monster 67. All the remaining footage, however, was shot in Portugal as Cristina and Belicio are driven to Montessori Mansion by an unseen chauffeur. They drive through narrow groves of dense vegetation just outside the gorgeous town of Casquias, north of Lisbon. The rest of the film was shot on location at the Conde de Castro Glumieri's Palace in Casquias and the nearby town of Sintra. Cristina's encounter with a strange old man on the steps of the small chapel takes place at the Capella de Seo Sebastião. The steamy eroticism of the region and its fantastical architecture would continue to obsess Franco, featuring prominently in the erotic rites of Frankenstein, love letters of a Portuguese nun, and Abrazni sexuals de la una mes major casada. Let's see what else. Quite, quite a bit. Okay. Connections. Um, the original title makes no mention of zombies, but if we persist in thinking of this as a zombie movie, then it's another one of those odd early 70s living dead films like Let's Scare Jessica to Death, Death Dreams, or Messiah of Evil, which ignore the thematic and contextual architecture of Romero's Night Living Dead and strike out on their own. Um, Anne Liebert's Queen of the Night, as she is referred to in press materials for the film, is a symbolic figure mentioned by the Countess Karodi in Vampiros Lesbos. Franco would restage certain aspects of the story in a slightly more coherent form in 1973's The Other Side of the Mirror, which also concerns a young woman morbidly preoccupied with her dead father who died by hanging. Yeah, and that's another one of my favorite films. So yeah, those two are very good together. The theme of a young maiden under threat from evil forces may have been taken root in Franco's imagination while shooting Virgin Report, a film that ruminates on the veneration of virgins throughout history. Also, too, I would think the ending of this has to do a little bit with Soldad's death. Um, on personal note, I don't see that in here, but it's a meditation on death and going to the other side. So I think he was dealing with that himself. Okay, so now here's all the uh, versions of the Jean Roland stuff. Okay, this is a little bit long, but here we go. The story behind the distribution of Virgin Among Living Dead is quite a tangle. Originally filmed in late 71 with the shooting title... Night of the Shooting Stars, and produced by Franco himself under the business alias of Prodif ETS, period. It was screened at Cannes uh, at the film market, not the festival, in 1973, after which two new versions emerged almost simultaneously. The first, called Una Varache la Mortis Vivance, was submitted for a French visa in April 73. It was listed as a Belgian production, suggesting the input of Euroscene's Belgian offshoot Brooks International Films. 
Confusingly, however, the only existing prints of Una Virage Lambortis Vivants list the produ- producers as Prodif ETS, Franco's own company, and an extremely obscure company called JK Films. It appears there's an Italian firm, although the curious letters J and K are not used in the Italian alphabet except in loan words from other languages. A second version, called Christine, Princess of Eroticism, emerged the same year from the Paris-based comptoir Francais de Film Production. Christine, Princess of Eroticism, increases the sex quotient by adding a tedious orgy in a distinctly bourgeois garden with Alice Arno sitting on a throne, presiding over three copulating couples, among them Walt Davis and Pierre Tellu. Neither Arno, Davis, or Tellu appear in the original 71 footage. The new material is inserted after a shot of Christine tossing and turning in her sleep, so presumably we're meant to believe that Arno, who's wearing a mask, is Christina. She also wears a crown and waves a scepter, there making her the princess to which the new title refers. Although how Christine can be said to be a princess of eroticism when she's supposed to be a virgin is anyone's guess. The additional scene completely ignores the central theme of innocence abuse, not surprisingly, and it was directed by Pierre Quirant of Eurocene's Belgian business partners, Brooks International Pictures. Five years later, in 1978, a version called Desideri Eroticy de Cristina was cleared for cinema release in Italy. It's listed in Italian production sources as a co-production between J.K. Films, Comptour, and Brooks International Films, suggesting that it retained uh, the Alice Arno Piratello footage. A fourth version, more commonly seen on video in the days before DVD restoration, was released in 1981 by Eurocene, who insisted on cutting in atrocious, creepy zombie inserts shot by French sin-poet Jean Roulin on one hell of an off day. Marius Lesseur told me to do that, Roland explained. We did it really quickly, just filmed some people dressed up as zombies. I don't think I ever saw Franco's movie. And the Petites, the Monacoa files, reveal that Eurocene were inspired to add their zombie inserts after the commercial success of Jean Roland's Zombie Lake, which, despite its poor reputation, made quite a lot of money for the company. Many years later, in 2003, a DVD company, Kino X, released a director's cut, with the newly generated on-screen title, Christina, Princess of Eroticism. This is full of peculiarities, most notably in the dialogue, which has been repeatedly looped to fill gaps where the available English dialogue fell short, creating a bizarre scratch video effect. Regrettably, it also dispenses with the traveling shots of the waterfront at La Pagnine, Spain, instead constricting on a new credit sequence for slow-motion shots of the Conde de Gasmero Palace. The English dubbing track, as first heard on the 1980 video release and copied over on subsequent English language DVDs releases, is also worth a mention. During the reading of the will, Antonio de Cabo, playing the notary, announces the date as September the 1st, 1980. This suggests that the English crack track was created in 1980 ahead of the Eurocene release in 81. Note also the man sitting outside the chapel says poor Cecilia, her chapel has been closed for years, even since the general died. Despite the Portuguese setting, this must be in a reference to General Francisco Franco, who died in 1975, five years before the English dub. Whoever supervised the English recording must have assumed this film was shot in Spain. The reference to the general also occurs on the French track at the point, which suggests that at least the original script was set in the future after the death of Franco, 
the English and French dubs were both recorded after 75. And if this is so, what happened to the original 73 French track? Finally, a confusing Italian film poster for something called uh, Erasimo per una Vergine, sometimes said to be a variant of Virgin Among the Living Dead, lists the cast of Jean Roulin's Requiem for a Vampire, headed by Virgin Among the Living Dead's Britt Nichols. Whew. So yeah, wow, you had Night of the Shooting Stars, you had um, the uh, um, Morte Vivants, which I think is the same one, and then Christina, Princess of Eroticism, with Alice Arno footage. Then you had the fourth one with the Jean Roulin footage. And then finally you have, I guess, the fifth, which is they were saying the scratch one, the quote-unquote director's cut with uh, weird stuff. So that's crazy, man. So, yeah, I mean, Franco always had like two or three versions, but this is one that got four or five versions of the film. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I think my favorite is uh, the original deal stuff without the Christina, you know, sex dumb orgy footage and uh, the stuff without the zombie footage just the original intent that Franco saw and all that stuff um, DVD versions like they had said there's so many ones that came out uh, I have the American I think it's in Great Britain as well the Redemption great label they were early Franco uh, champions and this is uh, Redemption Just Franco is a Virgin Among Living Dead including the original director's cut Christina Princess of Eroticism this has the original cut, Christina, Princess of Eroticism, which actually isn't the real title, but that's 79 minutes, and it's remastered, and it's got commentary by Tim Lucas. And then it's got Virgin Among the Dead, the 90-minute cut. And then it's got the um, French with optional English subs, English dubbed. And then it's got the alternative erotic footage, five minutes, featuring Alice Arno. And then it's got uh, Mysterious Dreams, a 16-minute interview with Franco, directed by David Gregory, Three Faces of Christine, a 12-minute documentary on the various versions of the film, and then, of course, the uh, Jess Franco um, homage. So, yeah, this is good. This is the uh, 1920 by 1080p, 166.1 frame rate, or uh, aspect ratio, I should say. Um, so, yeah, this is, like like I said, my favorite Franco film. Um as I go through and watch more of his, I may change my mind, but uh, I have some that are really darn close to this. She Killed an Ecstasy is right there. Um, Cries of Pleasure is like right up there. The Other Side of the Mirror is right up there. Um, Vampiros Lesbos, of course. All those are just right close to each other. So, I mean, it's my favorite, but it's not huge above. They're all pretty damn close to each other. Uh, so yeah, that was the DVD Blu release um, release info we gave you, gave you film notes, and most importantly, I'll give you my mission statement in this part. Mission statement always, each time, is praise and in memory of Mr. Jess Franco, bringing the name and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears. And I hope I have been doing that since November, late, uh, late October we started. But I say, well, actually, we started on Halloween, and that was a good time to start. So yeah, we'll say November. Uh, you can always reach us at FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. We have a Facebook page at FrancoObserver Podcast. We have an Instagram page at FrancoObserver Podcast. Uh, please download the episodes. Uh, please rate. Please share. 
please tell all your friends and subscribe as well. We want to keep building the numbers each month. Uh, does better than the last the last two months. Uh, let's see, March and April. Yeah, because we're in May now as I record this. So March and April were our two best months, but they were literally like tied. So we're at a plateau. We want to keep going up higher and higher. So I'd like to get another, I don't know, 50 or 100 downloads this time. It'd be cool. Take us to the next level. Because we average about, be totally honest with you, we average about 400 plus downloads a month. So I'd like to get about 500. That'd be pretty cool. Because, man, some of these things, they talk about 500 a day or 500 a week. There's no way we're going to hit that. But I, but I want it to be... 500 a month would be really cool. So let's try to get about 100 more a month. Tell all your friends, download more, listen more. Um, you know, even though we like this, we got to at least keep it going. And uh, we want to keep building the Franco Empire. You know that. Uh, so let's see what else you want to say. This is going to be a special episode. Uh, I'm recording this intro a few weeks before the actual second part. I'm going to have, uh, I believe, one or two cast members from the productions that we're doing is going to be uh, on this, so this should be pretty cool. Uh, getting this in the can and ahead of time before we lose time. As you know, when you start doing films, your time is very, very small. So, alrighty, well, I uh, hope you all like this part. It's a little bit longer. This was about 30 something minutes, 35 minutes, but this is a long, uh, beautiful film. Not long, but I mean, there's a lot to it, so this definitely has some substance compared to shorter things. So, Hope you all dig it, and you are fans of the film as well. Stick around and listen to the interview or the review part. I'm sure you'll dig it. Adios. Hey, buddies. Welcome once again to the Frank Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions. And as we record this podcast, we are going to start uh, on film number one. Or actually, film number 13. It would be appropriately on the Desperate Visions uh, productions, uh, but film one in the new cycle, um, Emmanuel and Sin City, followed by Lady Hyde, and then later Tracy Triangle. So I have with me two of the actors in the film, uh, Mr. Eric Whitwell, the usual co-host. Hello. And uh, along with Miss Liz Clare. Hey. And uh, she watched her first Franco film, and uh, this being uh, film 38, uh, A Virgin Among the Living Dead, also known as Christina, Princess of Eroticism, also known under the shooting title of uh, Night of the Shooting Stars. Um, what I'm going to do is give the uh, synopsis of the film, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, let's see. Actually, go ahead and wordy on this one. Naive and innocent, Christina Bentham arrived in Portugal, traveling alone. She's an orphan. Her mother died many years ago, while her distant father, Ernesto Reiner, supported her financially, but never even sent a photograph. Consequently, Christina is beset by loneliness at the news from her uncle Howard that her father has died. She has been instructed to attend the family estate at Montessorante for the reading of the will. Spending the night at the local inn, she reveals her destination to the owner, who claims no one lives there. Uh, the following morning, Uncle Howard's man-servant, Basilio, arrives to collect her. He is mute and apparently retarded. Uh, approaching their destination by car, Christina observes that there is something disturbing about the region. On her arrival, Uncle Howard is cheerfully, though ice-cold to the touch. 
He informs the puzzled girl that there is soon to be another death in the family. Harmina, Christina's stepmother. Harmina whispers to Christina to get out of Montserrat. Then she dies. Harmina whispers to Christina... I'm sorry. Um, Howard's wife, Abigail, Christina's cousin, Carmense, and a silent, raven-haired woman, later referred to as the Queen of Darkness, are also present, each of them giving off strange vibrations. While waiting for the arrival of her father's lawyer, Christina goes swimming in the lake near the property where she is spied upon by two older men. A handsome lad from the village sends them packing, and he and Christina make friends. However, he believes Montserrat Mansion is unoccupied and haunted as well. When Christina brings him into the house, Uncle Howard appears, and the young man flees in terror. The lawyer duly arrives and reveals that the entire estate has been left to Christina. Uncle Howard and the others prepare to leave, but she insists that he and the others should stay as long as they want. Christina falls into the sleepy revere day and night, during which she receives visitations from a blind woman called Linda. Strange experiences escalate. Christina witnesses Carmense in a sadistic sexual encounter with Linda, cutting her with a pair of scissors and drinking her blood. After seeing Howard and Abigail playing with a severed hand at the dining table, she runs away to an outbuilding in the gardens where she is confronted by the ghost of her father. He warns her of great danger and evil at Montserrat, but it's too late. Uncle Howard and the others drag her away and force her to participate in a black magic ceremony. Is there a route out of this maze of nightmares for Christina, or is her fate inescapably entwined with these monsters? So, Liz, what did you think of the film? I thought the Franco character was the most relatable character I've ever seen in my life. The dialogue. (laughs) The dialogue just hit. I was like, that's that's me. That's it. That's your spirit animal is Uncle Jess in this film. That's it. Yeah, I know. She definitely had, I will bear witness to that because she remarked on that quite a few times during the film and that that hit a very sweet note with her. Um, What would you think of like the location, the feel of the film? uh, I mean, it's not a lot of typical movie movie you know and, but it's more of a kind of meditation and kind of a more of a feel no, than, than the stuff yeah it was gorgeous I mean the location the house like it was funny Eric was just like yeah somebody just sits there and eats cereal which is such a bizarre <laughs> right. such a bizarre thought because the house was just so it was breathtaking yeah and, it is he always shoots in just really beautiful locations I was yeah. telling you about and then and the people and the situations and that and yeah it's a very has a very fun haunting uh, feel to it. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it really draws you in. What did you think, Eric? Oh, it was beautiful, man. It was super cool. That was a super cool movie. Um, some of the shots are incredible. I love that they called it a lake because it kind of reminded me of a pond. Yeah, if, to be honest, it was a scum. It was <laughs> oh a scum yeah, pond. that's true. That's, yeah. why, that's why those yeah those those plants grow in yeah. stagnant gummy water. Like snappy turtles like, live there. You know, yeah, yeah. That's, that's that kind of a pond. Like that's why. And it's funny, Eric always has a thing with Uncle Jess films about people going into that water of some kind. So in this one, he was definitely kind of squirming around because there's a couple instances of people walking into that yeah, pond. And no you're just like, what there's, the fuck? No what the fuck? Yeah. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. There's just no way. You're going to green screen me. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, that's, that's the only way I'm doing that. That's or, uh, yeah. Or put some fake shit in a fucking swimming pool and then green screen around that. Yeah. And, Literally, yeah. if you guys had me do that and I took two steps in and someone went, I would piss. Yeah. Like, I would just piss right there. Maybe poop a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. But it's wow. what I had that day. 
But yeah, no, it's out. like that kind of fear inducing wow. to me. Yeah. Okay. So, um, any casting directors out there, if you want to uh, do, <laughs> a, do a version of the pond, something with a pond, Eric's your actor to hire. So, you know. Make sure yeah. there's a lot of male on male action. Though. Exactly. Because that's what I'm into. And and no and no green screen needed. <laughs> Just full. Make him, make him piss himself. Yeah, make him piss himself. Yeah, exactly. No. And, and, and Any German, no. German producers out there. You know? Yeah. Shite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, wow, seven minutes in and you're already talking about shit. All right. Hey, maybe we hit a record. Almost like a Franco you film. You could up, yeah. up your date, day rate. Exactly. You'd be like, that's another $500. And speaking of, let's see, so 7 minutes 40, so actually, well, it's 7.40, so the first nudity in the film is 17 minutes 40 seconds, approximately. Uh, that's a very quick shot. So, um, speaking of numbers, let's go ahead and do the Franco list, get this out of the way. Uh, so, um, Franco list, uh, top 21, 22 things that we usually notice, although we're starting to notice more things like barefoot shots and other things to add to the film. If somebody walks barefoot on like rocks in the movie, yeah. like a path or something that could be added, but anyway. So, uh, number one, body of water starts off. Yes. Absolutely. Totally. Uh, number two, sailboat, three boats. Yeah. Yep. Uh, maybe one sailboat, but mostly boats, tons of boats. All different kinds of boats. Yeah, exactly. Boats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely a lot of seaside, seaside shots, three S's there, uh, together in the beginning, set up that footage of modern society and the, the uh, mechanics and that, and travels back into time as they go through. Uh, number five, jungle sound. Of, I'm sorry, uh, number four, uh, palm trees, yes. Yes. Like immediately. Five, yeah, totally. We yeah. see tons of those, the estate and on the way there and, and everything through. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We had that weird the jungle thing. dolphin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was weird. Like when she was hearing a noise, when she kept walking and looking around and seeing stuff, and then there was uh, some of the winds inside the forest, walking around and uh, inside the castle, and yeah, definitely a few. Uh, and then Uncle Jess, I think we were talking about the voice too. Something we were laughing. Oh, he goes, did snoring sounds in the back. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Snoring yeah, see, sound effects. Totally really, that's the guy. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, me. he dubbed that all the way through. Exactly. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, number Dubs six. sound booth somewhere, yeah. Exactly. Doing that over overdub. Uh, number six, chained up person. No, I don't I didn't see him. Cha- no, yeah. well, hung. Like, he was yeah, hung. Yeah, does that count? That he wasn't chained. It up. is. Just, yeah, it is yeah. tied up in a way. Tied up, chained. I know. Yeah, I always say tied up, chained up. Yeah, I guess and tied up would be noose, and he's hung, and so yeah, he was. He hung himself. Um, yeah, I guess that's. Yeah, I mean, there's rope, and it's showing uh, I mean, restraint. They, they used to call him tie him up. You know, yeah, hangman. Yeah, that's that. true. Yeah, I, I guess that's that's a that part of. of yeah, it's partial. We are kind of reaching, but you know. yeah. but no, I, th- I think it's like a half point because uh, yeah, it is a, a prominent thing in the film is the the noose and the symbol of that. Um, but yeah, it's a little different than the people chained up in a basement yeah. or tied up or whatever. Uh, number seven, dance scene on stage stripping. Okay, now not a stage, but we were laughing. Eric had brought up the Brent Nichols rolling around on the floor, kind of like some of the other strip scenes and Nightmares Come at Night and. Uh, um, Vampirous Lesbos and some of the other ones that we were seeing later on. That, yeah. You know, it just wasn't in front of an audience. It was just in front of a retarded Franco. Well, that's true. And Howard <laughs> Vernon playing music, so, you know. Sorry, I just like the, using that word. I know I'm not supposed to. Well, well, but that he is in this film, you know. Um, 
but uh, yeah. So apparently let's retarded. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he plays it, exactly. He totally, totally. So well, in, it's in a print. the book. What did it yeah. say in the book? Yeah. Uh, let's see. It says uh, well, so once Yeah, it's like. Um, uh, Uncle Herbert's manservant, Basilio. Oh, yeah, he is mute and apparently, apparently. retarded. Yeah, apparently. apparently. Yeah. Apparently, was that because of the way he was clapping? I know. Made him assume it's that? Apparently. It's like after talking to this person, I guess he's apparently retarded. I'm not <laughs> sure. That's my diagnosis, apparently. <laughs> apparently, he's retarded. Uh, number eight, club scenes, dancing. No, no nothing no, like no. that in this film. Jazz music, yes. Yeah, yeah. And number ten. Oh yeah, very nice music. Uh, Bruno Nicolai. Uh, there's a cues from Eugenie in this, and then a lot of different styles of music he has in this. A lot of the cool fast stuff in the beginning, and then it's uh, all different styles. Was quite through it. Very, very good soundtrack, definitely. Uh, number ten, excessive zooms. Mm. Not, not excessive. Yeah, not excessive. I mean, he did use it, but not a liberal, like a. a Stupid amount, you know. I think I think it was within reason on this. There was that one cool zoom scene that um, that you brought out that you thought that might have been done in reverse, where he actually started off zoomed all the way in, yeah, but then shot back out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking up. That was yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a cool Sounds shot. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. We're sure. That, how yeah, it, yeah. He, yeah he uses the uh, reverse shots really good in this. Um, number eleven, out of focus shots. Yeah, we were laughing about that. There's even an out of focus shot of Uncle Jess a few times in this, like once or twice. <laughs> Not a huge amount, but some, you know. Um, but and and we were kept catching them. And here's something I kind of forgot to look for. Number twelve, mirror shots. No, I actually I don't know if I saw any mirrors. Yeah, I don't think there's any. No, there's a mirror when she walks by. I think Christina, but it's it's nothing within reason. There's a shot where she walks by, and I saw her reflection okay. as she's passing a mirror. But it's not figured prominently in a scene where something's talking about. But they say the other side of the mirror. They talk about. But they do say the other side. Yeah, yeah, but that's about it. Okay. Um, Thirteen mind control theme. Yeah, well, the of the night. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the people are in control. That's true. Yeah, because she controlled the father to, mm-hmm. to bring her to. Yeah, very good. Yes, yeah, so yeah, definitely. Uh, number fourteen, magic tongue scenes. So, Eric, was there any magic tongue scenes in this? Thankfully, yes. Yes, and Rick Nichols, yeah, that sexy, sexy woman who is, oh my gosh, makes me want to learn how to play soccer and yeah. football. You know, um, yes, she finally brought out the tongue. She yeah. usually only brings out the lips because she has voluptuous lips. Yeah, but this time she used the lips for quite a period, and then. Started, started to get licky licky. Yeah, with the blood, which was even funnier because yeah. it was like on that like wound, that little uh, prosthetic thing they had there, like a little wound effect, and she was like licking that. I was like, okay, you won't lick a girl's nipple, but you'll lick, lick this weird gash. fucking yeah. yeah. <laughs> rationale is there, you know, whatever. Uh, number fourteen. Okay, I'm sorry. Number fifteen. Um, red light. Uh, I didn't, well, not in that way. I didn't see any red lighting. Yeah, I'm not really sure on that. I, I didn't see a lot of austere lighting. Like, I didn't see a lot of. Uh, like yeah, no, it was, I think it was a lot of natural stuff. Blues, yeah, yeah, um, yeah with the the uh, like Howard Vernon's wife. That lady, I think they shot her one scene where she was red and blue. I think, but just one time. I don't think it was really that much in this. I, so I'd say kind of no. Uh, it's more natural or candlelight, red beds, and there's red items in there that reflected off of, but no traditional red light like like usual. Um, still say this, even though it's not Aaron C. Dietrich, uh, sheepskin and masturbate with the C item, which we filled in Liz today about the history of the masturbation with the C item and the talking cucumber and all those, all those things. <laughs> the letter C people ask me like C items. They think it's like S E A, like, you know, like I a thought barnacle. It was supposed to be for cunt. 
Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So. But the, <laughs> yeah, calling see. the dude a dildo. Yeah, exactly. Funny, yeah, so. yeah. For Irwin C. Dietrich, you know. Well, from all C's. That's just a funny thing. You start doing a list and start noticing things and you put it all together and, and there's your data. And you're like, oh, I, sure. I like that because, you know, honestly, Liz, it is mostly women masturbating with these items. So right. masturbating with the C item and kind of Well, it's all women. I don't the, think it's mostly. It's all, right? Oh, it is all women. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, mostly. What, what, what C do you see? I didn't see. Okay, not in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> No, but Were yeah, you looking at that cucumber? Yeah. Uncle Howard with the like... claw hammer. No. <laughs> I was wondering how you made those eyes. <laughs> uh, number 17, mad scientist. No. No. Yeah, this one, there's no mad scientist. 18, fish tank shots. No. Number 19, talking parrot or talking animal. I'll kind of add that, add them to it. Uh, no on this one. Um, 20 in credits, yes or no. Yes, it said Finn, the end. Uh, 21, handwritten notes or signs. No, not no, in this one. And finally, spiral staircase shots. No spirals, but staircase shots running yeah. down and uh, running away from things and that. Um, so, yeah, uh, this was shot in 71. Uh, we could tell because we saw the phone books. Uh, <laughs> that on was the stand. awesome. Yeah, which was cool. So it's <laughs> 71, 72, I guess, where this was shot. And... Uh, uh, Liechtenstein, France, Italy, and Belgium. Liechtenstein, Lido. Yeah, yeah. They always do an unof- They're usually one of the unofficial producers, um, but they never have Liechtenstein versions of the films, but they do have distributed them in the territory. Okay. Like, for instance, this film played... Um, shooting date on this is uh, November to December of 71. So I've shot this in less than a month. Um they played France July 12th of 73. Actually, yeah, so about two and a half years. Uh, Paris, November 73. Italy, October 78. Uh, Naples, November 78. Uh, Seville and Madrid, July 81. And Barcelona. Okay, so yeah, I never played uh, there. Uh, Barcelona, July 82. Uh, France, Belgium, Spain. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. But uh, Liechtenstein has... Yeah, so the producers is Prodif, Estite, Vaduz, Comptour, that's out of France, uh, JK Films, that's Italy, uh, Prodif, Vadez, Brussels, and Paris. That's funny. Liechtenstein there, but it doesn't have it on the other parts. Interesting, yeah, because they always have them as like an unofficial producer, but they ever play the territories. I don't know if it's just a money thing or what, like a tax deal or something. Um, let's talk about locations real quick on this. Um so yeah, it says um, the opening shots of a car driving along the seafront were filmed in Spain, also in, as in Sexy Darlings, you know, when he's riding to the yeah. bike and everything. Yeah. Um, a roadside by the water's edge announces the location as Lopeganan, a region of Morica on the shores of the Mar Menoir. Uh, in some shots, a spit of land can be seen across the water. There's a narrow causeway that separates from the sea the large uh, saltwater lake which is the region's most notable feature a shabby fanfare ride and bar call can also be seen kiss me killer um, all the remaining footage however was shot in Portugal um, as Christina and Basile are driving to Montessori Mansion uh, they drive through the narrow groves of dense vegetation just outside the gorgeous town of, of um, Casquias north of Lisbon uh, the rest of the film was shot on location at the Conde de Castro Gumeri Palace in Casquias and the nearby town of Sintra um, her encounter with the old man on the steps of a chapel takes place at the Capitella di Seo Sebastiano. Um, you do really good with those, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm 
You do really good. Oh, hey, I try, man. I know. I, just, I, know. I know. I'm speaking where I'm reading all these. Uh, a lot of the same places, too. But, yeah, and also, too, that you went back to that location for erotic rites of Frankenstein, Love Letters, Portuguese Nun, and Abrescanus for the next one. Um, and let's see, connections. Um, so, yeah, it talks about. Um, there's no talk about the living dead, like, say, let's scare Jessica to death, which ignores the thematic architecture of George Murrow's Night of the Living Dead. Uh, her voiceover and staff recalls H.P. Lovecraft's Color Out of Space. Uh, the heroine's encounter with the undead father recalls a similar situation in Dr. Wardoff's Monster. Anne Liebert's Queen of the Night, as she's referred to in press materials in the film, is a symbolic figure mentioned by Countess Carotti in Vampiros Lesbos. Um, and... Uh, Talks about some of the same situations used in the other side of the mayor later in '73, um, but yeah, and they talked about uh, how this was done and stuff. So um, later on in the intro, I'll talk about all the uh, I talked about the other versions and everything. So, um, but yeah, so uh, no, this is definitely one of my top five Franco films. It's it's an interesting film to show people because it's uh, it's not very narrative and it's more of a feeling, and you just kind of have to like like kick back and watch it and, and like dig in stuff and, and all that. You know, so, uh, but no, it's, it's, it's definitely good. And, uh, yeah, this is, um, uh, of course we get all the information from murderous passions by Mr. Stephen Thrower. And there's a lot of good sections in, uh, this one for, um, Virgin Among Living Dead. So, um, Eric, tell me like, so when, when you were watching this stuff, what would you think of like Howard Vernon in this role as Uncle Howard? Oh, it was creepy. Like it was super good. Um, I like in the beginning when she first met him, he's playing the piano and he's like playing a waltz, and she's like, "Is that fitting?" You know, right, right. Like she's gonna die. He's like, "What? You want me to play her a morning song?" All right, yeah. Maybe she'll like yeah. that because yeah. funeral march. Yeah, yeah. He's like, "No, march? I think I think yeah. she prefers the, wal- the waltz." He goes, "I know her. I know about her." You know, so uh-huh. I thought that was pretty cool. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's just like, "No, nah, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna mourn right now." Like, she likes this music. We're gonna do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. No, and, and he, I, I like his contemporary fashions, and he's yeah. like, he seems like he's more like a up thing compared to Franco's dressed down and the woman they're all dressed very old style and the traditional garb and he's real like you know it, like it, it, Mr. Swinger or something yeah like. Liz Liz got how he was very dramatic with his piano strokes it was, oh yeah it was yeah, pretty, yeah. Pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah exactly but, but I like also like when they were mourning her when she was uh, when she had passed away and she's sitting on a chair with a with a face with her eyes staring up and her mouth just agape and they're like singing the songs that they're all kind of like almost like a chant in a way. Yeah. But he's like singing it with a cigarette just hanging out his mouth, just yeah. blowing it out his nostrils and his mouth. It was like it's the end of the night. Yeah, like it's like no big deal. Like I do this all the time type shit. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. like a piano player at a bar who's been there for like thirty years, yeah. you know. But it's cool if you think about it, it's just like all these ghosts hanging out, partying, having a good time, yeah. enjoying this little time on earth they have before they have to go back to their purgatory or their home or the other side or beyond or whatever yeah. you want to call it but until they go off again you know so that's why he's so like so happy and joyful yeah. and other people are just like like her just smoking like you think Christina Von Blanc's character like maybe she doesn't get to smoke in, per- or smoke in hell or whatever and, and so now she's here I mean she doesn't smoke in hell if she's on fire but she goes up here and she's <laughs> always smoking and she wears red so I wonder that could be okay. she could be like a devil or something Brit Nichols though Brit Nichols I'm sorry yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. no yeah she's like oh I'm, I'm out here I might as well like paint my toenails you know? yeah they're red awesome. she wore red yeah. she's always smoking all the time yeah. just every shot she's like smoking I meet this blind lady yeah, yeah. I don't get that in hell yeah <laughs> it's a special treat hell yeah exactly you know and uh, yeah got to snip off some of the blind ladies you know that was scissors 
Yeah, that's always an odd scene when I first watched this film. That scene I was kind of pubes yeah. I thought so too. I okay, you thought so too. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, Franco was what? Franco, he doesn't do that. Exactly. You've seen Soledad before. That thing is mighty. Yeah. Does she have like a? Oh, it's insane. I mean, it's yeah. It's oh yeah. It's 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 yeah. It's God. Well, in that opening scene though, when Christine von Blanc walks in the underwear down those steps, yeah, I think you could see her like total hash brown. You know, you're like, wow, yeah. That's you know. And, and, that, and sort of see through pan as well. I was like, okay, well, it's not a nude shot, but you know, I love hash browns. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I immediately went to breakfast right there. I was like, <laughs> yeah, is that McDonald's? They're not just for breakfast, you know. but uh, yeah. So um, yeah, so that's my review of this film. If if you like hash browns, this is a good film to watch. Delicious, you know? exactly, and nutritious. But um, yeah, so I don't know. Um, I, I definitely dig it. It's a film I always recommend. It's a fun film to watch, and uh, it's like my third time watching it. And I saw a few other little clues that I didn't catch before, little subtle things, and uh, yeah, a lot of the the dialogue is spot on. What they're saying is like what is going on. So it's like if you know that, you go, oh, okay, duh. you know, you start yeah. reading it the second time, and you're like, oh, it's fucking obvious what he's trying to tell her and shit, you know. Yeah, sometimes when we read the synopsis, we find out what the movie's actually about. Exactly. <laughs> so like, oh, I didn't know actually. this was that person's husband or wife. Or... Which is crazy because this one, like, they talk about it um, in the interviews. They talk about how it being, this being such an esoteric film. Yeah. But, like, I was able to follow it, follow with it. And it was just beautiful. It was yeah, just so it's... beautiful. Like, the scenes, the the way they were acted, the beautiful. Like, yeah, yeah, it, really it seemed like a fun film to make. Uh, it didn't seem like, you know there's a lot of dialogue I mean there's a good amount of dialogue but there's also a lot of quiet just scenes where just motion happens and things just take their time and, and it, it seemed like it, it it would be a good film to like film like not a lot of stress and plus he did it as his own self finance thing and, and it was all the freedom with the shooting and stuff and that means a lot you know and Anne Liebert is strong dude that, yeah. that woman like she's like the queen of the night yeah from like what the first movie that we saw her in to like where she is now yeah yeah like she's like she's taking over like she's totally taking over yeah yeah she's definitely strong and and like because that one film is like she had all as the bird woman she had like Howard Vernon's dialogue that he was projecting from his brain into her and she had to speak her all her birds and all that shit and then his dialogue too that she was speaking was like wow that's crazy fucking a lot of heavy lifting, you know. Still one so, of my favorite characters. Still yeah, one of my yeah, favorite characters. Very cool. So, um, I don't know. You have any final thoughts about the film or or your? Uh... I want some bat jerky. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there <laughs> was a find nice... that somehow. Yeah, that's like a nice little little. Uh, instead of leaving a um, mint on your pillow, they have yes. a nice little bat jerky left on your bed. The little strips. That's a lot little... more work than a mint. Yeah. yeah, that's true. There's there's definitely you really more. Have to put uh, more thought into that. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. Heart, There's not man. a lot of fat in bats, though, so they're really good if you're working out and you're trying to like just get that protein. Just get protein, yeah. Yeah, like there's just that little bit of breast meat, I think, in the bat, and the wings are all just you know sinewy. Yeah, like that. so, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Like crunch on it. You just you do that, and then maybe a little bit of the head or something. So you, what you do is you actually cut off the back, the the back hind legs and the the ass of the bat, and then you blow through its mouth, and it actually deguts it right away. Yeah, it sounds the ass of the bat. And that's uh, <laughs> the bat's that sounds ass. cool. And that's spoken that's from the bat's experience, ass right so, there. You know. Yeah, and, and there's bees, bush bees. in this book. Oh, very, very cool. much so. Yeah, this is funny. all the yeah. And I can't believe there's really a book. Oh, like this, this is only book, part, this one. Is huge. part one. What? That's only half of his films. See, okay, yeah, that's so volume this... one, and I have volume two as well, right there. Yeah, these books are yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. Liz is looking at murderous passions for the first time, so it's tons oh. of good stuff. That's the film. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's she can see. I'll show you all Turn that. Turn right to it. 
yeah, yeah. So yeah, this book is really impressive. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good book. Uh, got on Amazon. I always hype it every week. It's 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 really good source material. It tells you shooting dates and all the good stuff and when it was made and all titles and, and all that really great stuff. Thank you, Stephen Thrower, for yeah, making definitely. this. Like, we really, really appreciate it. Yeah, this. yeah, yeah. A, I know he's always a lot doing of all the cool this. stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of work. And yeah. He's a really good author. He does a lot of cool film books like that. I have a couple different ones of different author, different filmmakers he's done and stuff. And uh, Nightmare USA is really great. It's another one all about cool films and that. So, Alrighty, well, uh, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up in closing. So, um, thank you, Liz, for being a guest thank on the you. episode. It's fun. Yeah, thank you very much, and thank you again, Eric, for being here again. It's always awesome. I am now a Francophile. Yeah, and big time. I, my DVD collection or Blu-ray and slash DVD collection is now up to twenty-six. Good, very so, good, awesome. I'm on my way to one eighty. Yeah, whoa, whoa. B- building it up. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, but more on the way. So your stomach didn't make any noise. It has. It has. Your plural you, you just haven't heard it. You just haven't heard it. Yeah, he's he's kind of shifted around a few yeah. times, you know. Yeah. And it's nice that I didn't bring it up this time, and it was Liz. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> All right. Well, Eric, uh, Eric's gonna go in the back and uh, blow up a, a bat's asshole right now, and uh, I'm gonna go make some dinner for Liz and myself, and Eric's gonna yeah have some bat's ass. So bat's ass. Beautiful nights. Beautiful nights with bat's ass. Mm-hmm.